the podcast for women in film and television, Austin. Hi, everyone. Thanks for coming back to season two of the WIFT Austin podcast. I'm today's host, Chantel James. In today's episode, we are talking to filmmakers Jessica Wolfson and Kelly Horan about different strategies to fund your short film. Since we are celebrating uh, the final episode of season two, I was hoping that after this episode, you will feel inspired to move forward with your project and make some great content for 2023. Jessica Wolfson is an award-winning documentary filmmaker. She began her career working as an executive at IFC TV Originals, where she produced films for many renowned filmmakers, including Kirby Dick, Steve James, John Landis, and John Favreau. Jessica has directed several films, including Hot Grease and Radio Unnameable, and produced many feature and short documentaries, including Life and Life, Sacred, Revenge of the Mekons, and A Girl and a Gun. She has created content for PBS, Discovery, History Channel, ESPN, CBS All Access, MTV, and Wall Street Journal. Her most recent projects include Kinderland and The Paint Wizard. Jessica was named 20 Under 40 by Doc NYC in 2010. She has acted as a consultant for many documentary projects, a mentor for the Gotham and Tribeca Film Festival, and teaches documentary production at New York Film Academy. Kelly Horan is an independent filmmaker and artist in Austin, Texas. Since moving from Tucson, Arizona, she has written, directed, and produced feature and short films that have featured in festivals such as Boston Sci-Fi Film Festival, South by Southwest, Otherworlds Film Festival, Arizona International Film Festival, and more. Active in the film community, Kelly was previously the screenwriting co-director and programmer at Otherworlds Film Festival 2020, a member of Women Communications of Austin, and the current development chair for Women and Film and Television Austin. Well, thank you both for coming into the studio today. We are wanting to talk about different strategies to fund a short film, but if you want to just do a little brief intro each on your career, your journey in filmmaking and kind of what you're working on at the moment. So I am Kelly Horan. I am a writer, director, and producer working in primarily genre film, doing short films recently. I've also produced and written feature films Primarily, all I do is super micro budget, really wanting to get the best bang for your buck. Everything is kind of tight right now and has been and always will be for artists. So doing the most that you can and figuring out how to still make art when it can be very expensive. I'm Jessica Wolfson. I am a documentary director and producer. I focus primarily on features as well as shorts. And then recently I got a job at Indeed, where I am now the executive producer overseeing a film fund, which is interesting to talk about, called Rising Voices, which is very cool. That is very cool. What does that entail? Rising Voices is a short film fund for BIPOC filmmakers early in their careers, and it is a a career-generating fund where we give $100,000 to 10 filmmakers to make a short film that will then premiere at the Tribeca Film Festival. And it's a launching point for their career. So the idea is, as Indeed says, talent is universal, but opportunity is not. And so it is a real interesting way for this very large tech brand to kind of put their messaging where their mouth is and actually help generate jobs you know, in Hollywood, where BIPOC people do not have as many opportunities. And so it's just this really interesting trickle effect where the director gets an opportunity to make a film, but the entire crew also benefits from it because, it, you know, as we all know, crew and opportunity creates more jobs and more jobs, et cetera. And so we just finished our second season, and the filmmakers from season one have gone on to direct HBO, Disney, Netflix shows. And so it's really, really interesting. That's very cool and rewarding, I bet. Very rewarding and very different from the independent film financing world that I have come from in the past. So it's it's interesting to see both sides of the table. Yeah, absolutely. And what a, a good grant to be on looking out for as a filmmaker. Yeah, it's really interesting because there are all of these new 
grants that are coming out right now from different brands who are looking to help, especially within the BIPOC community. Mm -hmm. I think Indeed is doing a really good job because we are giving probably more money than most people and really looking at it as a an incubator for career development as well because we introduce mentors and really guide the process forward so yeah it's been really exciting yeah that's really cool and a very good segment into different ways to fund your short film so obviously crowdfunding is is something that is you know a great kind of starting point and there's probably only so many times you can ask your network to give money to a project right you do it maybe two times and then you have to like figure out how else you can come up with some funding grants are a great way obviously is there anything like grant wise that obviously this indeed grant is fantastic does anyone else have any other like ideas or resources specific maybe to austin or texas well austin film society Mm -hmm. does a short film grant which is fantastic i've gotten that in the past for projects and there aren't a lot of specific short film grants yeah mostly they are features but they are coming out there are more of them and they are geared i feel towards communities with barriers who are not you know getting the resources so there's a lot of lgbtq grants Mm -hmm. coming you know and women and obviously you know a lot of bipoc grants a lot of first-time filmmaker opportunities that i've been seeing yeah but yeah that's right afs it definitely Mm -hmm. is one of you know like probably very generous in terms of other film societies around the country that are giving support to film to short filmmakers yeah it does seem that way for sure yeah and you mentioned two other tech brands that you think are interesting to keep an eye out well i know hbo just launched a new grant for documentary specific, but I can't remember if it's short or feature. Steven Sonnenberg just had a grant come out, I saw recently. Off the top of my head, I can't remember yeah, every single yeah. one, but they're, they're out there. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, the grant writing process is time consuming and all of that fun stuff. Awful. <laughs> so really, budgeting the time to do these, to do grant writing, to do crowdfunding, to whatever you have to like you know, have a lead up into what that looks like. Yeah. And I don't have much experience, Kelly, you have with grant writing, but the big problem that I have with it, especially for my experience trying to fund documentaries, is that you write a grant, you turn it in, you wait nine months. Yeah. And then hopefully you get that money. And even when you get that money, it's such a small drop in the bucket for your overall budget that it really is like it doesn't make sense all the time and effort that you get you know you have to put into the grant writing and then it's always the you know you need a grant to get a grant yes right you need you need to have already had funding to make grantors and you know the people who are looking at your application feel comfortable giving you the money and so for a first time or early career filmmakers this is very challenging mm-hmm. and if you haven't established yourself within the community then you know it's almost like you know you're throwing spaghetti against the wall and hoping someone will pay attention to you and that's yeah a pain that actually makes a lot of sense <laughs> and that's that's kind of where i've been i've definitely applied for grants and not gotten anything a lot of times they they like the project they like everything but it's just not a fit for them and i think a lot of times it's genre so doing horror or sci-fi and stuff like a lot of people don't see that as being as serious I disagree. I think you can have some great themes and emotional moments and and stuff there. So I think that's been a struggle for me. I'm currently actually working on the application for the AFS short one Mm. with another sci-fi one. We'll see. (laughs) But yeah, I've I've never received a grant. I've spent hours and hours and hours, you know, writing them, getting stuff ready for it. And while also doing crowdfunding stuff, while also working a nine to five job. And it's, it's a lot. You have to be prepared and you have to be passionate because you're going to spend time and it's going to be really demoralizing at times how little people I don't want to say care but how they only have so much time and and energy that they can spend on people too and there's so many people asking for money but yeah you just have to be prepared for rejection and 
power through it. The whole way through the journey. (laughs) (laughs) And the the one thing I will say in my experience too about grant writing is it gets you to know your project very well. Mm -hmm. So even if you don't receive money, you still have a very strong understanding of what the story is that you're telling. Yeah. And there's a real benefit to that. The more you talk about your project, the more you are able to kind of figure out like what works, what resonates with people, what is making sense. And it's a real good process. So as demoralizing as it is, (laughs) it is a good exercise in the creative development of your story. I've done a lot of pitch sessions where I've gone and pitched projects as well. Mm -hmm. And if you have an opportunity to do that, that's, again, really great because you sit down with someone for 15 minutes, you talk about your project, and you see what's working, Mm -hmm. like what people are drawn to. And then by the end of the day, if you do 20 pitches in a day, one, you're able to elevator pitch your film perfectly yeah and two you're really you're gonna leave that situation that that event with a really good sense of how do I move this forward in a way that is building an audience because ultimately the people you're talking to is your audience and that's Mm -hmm. who you're making this film for yeah that is really correct so to like go back to the start when you're asking for money if you've never made a film before how do you even know how to create a budget of what that looks like So I don't think mine's the correct way or what I've done in the past, but it's worked. I come from like a nonprofit background, managing budgets for um, small organizations. So I I don't manage the budget, but for a department, I manage my budget. And it's always very small because it's nonprofit. So I would always come up with spreadsheets. I kind of always treated it like that. How much do we have? And then kind of allocating, cutting based on what I think we can get, writing for what I have Mm -hmm. fund-wise, because I do want to make something. And so if, you know, I have a set piece that is going to be way too expensive, I adjust expectations and do that. But I just do spreadsheets and, you know, stuff like that. It's not the most, you know, software heavy or anything, but it's sort of what I've done based on working in the nonprofit world, which to me, when you're doing micro-budget indie film, it feels like working for a nonprofit. I don't take a salary. I end up paying into it. So, yeah. So I actually teach as well as all the other things that I do. And one thing, <laughs> a million different things. And one one class I do teach is in budgeting. Mm. And what I always tell my students is you need to have two budgets. You need to have your presentation budget, the mm-hmm. budget you are reaching out to your funders for, which is your, if I had all the money I needed, this is how, this is the what it would cost to make the film. And then you have your working budget. Mm -hmm. And I think, Kelly, you're Mm -hmm. the one you're working off a working Working budget. budget. Yeah. And that is, okay. well, I've only been able to raise a portion of that budget. So how do I make it work with this? And your working budget is a fluid document that Mm -hmm. you are constantly looking at and constantly adjusting. And your presentation budget is this is what it is. This is how much it's going to cost. And you use that just to go out to people for funding because you never want to show them your working budget because then they'll say, well, you can make it for a quarter of what you're (laughs) asking me for. So no. Right, right. And so when you're asking for the budget that you would give a grant application would be your your presentation budget. Yeah. Yeah. But they also know because they're filmmakers that you have a working budget. I'm sure they do. And the other thing that's really important in your presentation budget is to absolutely must have a line for yourself. Right. You cannot not pay yourself in a presentation budget. You may not pay yourself at the end of the day. Yep. (laughs) But grantors, what they want, they want to see that you know how to make a film Mm. and they want to see that you know that this is an important line to pay, you know. And so um, people always ask, how much should you pay yourself? And I always say, you know, in an ideal situation, the director should get about 10% of the total budget, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, a fair wage. We end up not getting that all the time, but that's important. The other thing is that you need to be very realistic and thoughtful about your numbers. Mm -hmm. Because I always say that when I read a budget that somebody has turned into me, that budget needs to tell me the story of your film. Mm -hmm. And... If you have in your treatment that you're going to have animation or you're going to have this insane special effects or you're going to do all of this stuff, I need to see that represented in the budget. And I need to see it thoughtfully represented in a accurate way. Mm-hmm. So if you say, well, I'm going to spend 
two thirds of my budget on music Mm-hmm. and then nothing on everything else. I want you to explain that to me. I want to see, are you making a music film? Are you hiring somebody who is you know, absolutely a necessity? But if you're just showing me a regular, normal, say, documentary with talking heads and nothing that really is clear about why you're spending so much money on music, then that's a red flag. Mm-hmm. And then what I am thinking to myself is, you don't know what you're doing. Exactly. Right. I've seen I've seen budgets where people have half of it going toward craft and meals, and I'm I'm like, what are you doing? I don't understand how you can spend half of your budget on that. And I've also seen where they budget that, but they're including that and saying like, well, we got a bunch of people to donate and give in kind services and stuff, but they're including that in their budget, showing like, well, yeah, all of this stuff counts for this much money, and that makes up half of this budget. They're kind of working it backwards rather than creating the budget first and then going. And you should always have a line for you know in for kind. deferred and in kind, mm-hmm. so that you can show it's because you're again you're telling a story. If half of your things are in kind, put that in your budget. If half of the things are deferred, put that in your budget. Well, it kind of helps show that other people are invested too and Mm -hmm. they're interested and you have a community. The last film that I did was sort of a nature horror kind of film. And so we wanted everything to be as sustainable as possible. So we did a completely vegan craft. We worked with Boxed Water who gave us free boxed water and stuff. So including that for something to kind of tell that story of this is... A sustainable production and I think people appreciated that we actually got more audience members because of that but yeah telling that story is huge every single part of it right if you're going to be intentional about what your production looks like yeah make sure you are explaining that yeah because that's a selling point honestly people like that and while we're talking about in kind obviously wages is a good way to get to like if you're making a low budget indie project like how many times can you ask people to work for a reduced rate? Like, how do you get people excited about your project? Any advice? So I think if it's a short project that's not a hard lift and you know the people really well and you're friends with them, it's a little bit easier. I always want to respect people's time and give them something. So even when they've said, oh, you know, I don't need it, defer payment, whatever, defer payment meaning not getting paid really Um. well I I would like I would like to count there is a difference so there is a very big difference between in kind and deferred and that's and I feel people don't understand the difference in kind you're donating Donating. your time or services deferred means I am not going to pay you now but I will pay you when I can and that money is you have to hold yourself Mm -hmm. to that money if you've made a negotiation with someone who's going to your DP is going to work for deferred you need to pay your DP as soon as you get money. Yeah. And that mm-hmm. should actually be the first money out rather than last money out. Mm-hmm. Last money out is an investor, right? You've recouped all your costs, the investor gets their money. But when you are asking someone to work, you know, to delay payment and you're not going to pay them and they find out that you got mm-hmm. money, then you are going to ruin that relationship. And then that is not okay. And I've noticed, especially in the indie scene, that that term is used ubiquitously. Like it is deferred means not paid in kind, essentially, because more often than not, it's not going to make any money. Or if it does, what I've noticed is then the people end up just keeping the money and not giving it to the people that they need to, 100%. So I think that definition is very important. Thanks for clearing that up for everyone. I, I'm sure everyone in this community will appreciate that. Yeah. Well, and also if you're, you know, if it's a union project, that is highly illegal. Well, yes. <laughs> right. They will come for you. <laughs> and, it, you know, the thing is, is that filmmaking is based on reputation and yeah. community. Yep. And if you start creating agreements and then not following through in your agreements, that looks bad on you. Yeah. And if you want to continue working within the community, mm-hmm. you have to be very careful about how you treat people. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's incredibly big. Yeah. Yeah. So I think when I've done stuff, it's obviously been in kind. And a lot of times people are happy to get, I guess, stuff for the real. That was earlier on and stuff and actually, you know, was valuable for them in that sense. And they knew I was just starting out and they were just starting out. I still feel like I'm very much just starting out 100 percent. But I think at a certain point, you have enough reps under your belt to where you have to start respecting people and stuff. And if they're not just your friends and not just like (laughs) fucking around on a weekend, like one, it creates more respect for the project and people actually will do more and give more of themselves and be more committed to it. 
that yeah, pay them even if it's not as much as they would get for a day rate in a commercial project. Even just showing that little amount of respect is good. But I've started really just cultivating a group of people that I really enjoy working with and that enjoy working with me so that even if my budget's super low and they're going to get paid, you know, a hundred bucks a day or something like that, they're going to have a good time and it's going to be fun and it's going to be a positive environment. The worst thing is when it's a small budget, low pay, all this stuff, and there's someone who's being a diva or there's someone who's just like not pulling their weight. So I think creating that kind of environment where it does feel like you're creating art together and it's collaborative and not collaborative in the sense of like, because that also has sort of negative connotations in this community. But where it's just like you say collaborative and it means not paid. But I mean it in the sense where everyone feels like they have some sort of stake in the project. Yeah, I 100% agree with your point. And I would also say that like two other things is one, if you can't pay someone, make sure you feed them. Yes. Mm-hmm. Feed food. them. Coffee is really important. <laughs> food. Good food. Yeah. And that's not like a Subway sandwich that you're going to eat off of for every single meal because mm-hmm. I've definitely been or granola bars. Right. <laughs> Be respectful of people's time. Make sure that you are keeping shorter hours mm-hmm. if you can, like a 10-hour day rather than a 12-hour day. If you go over time, pay pay them more. It's going to cost you. And I think be honest with expectations at the beginning. So if you're saying, you know, one of the days is going to be 12 hours, one of them is going to be whatever. The more I've done this as a director, I've kind of realized how... I like sets to be and I prefer small sets and I prefer shorter days. I'm like in my nine to five, I work eight hours, sometimes 10 and it's exhausting. Sometimes I'm like, why would I expect people to be okay and healthy and give that much effort more than I would in my day job? So that's kind of what I've been doing is having it be like an eight hour day, 10 hour flex max. Yeah. And people are happier and people have more energy and I don't know. I guess they're okay with getting paid less. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> well, also creating a creating an inclusive and collaborative mm-hmm. environment, making sure people understand expectations, like mm-hmm. you said, making sure that your set is a fun and happy place, not a stressful and anxiety-ridden place. Absolutely. So having a very clear sense of the story you're trying to tell and how you're going to tell it, which means doing as much pre-production as you can and mm-hmm. surrounding yourself with people with no drama. We're all in it together. It's so funny because like, I think when I started out directing and being in sort of the indie industry for film, I realized how much of an expectation there was for there to be drama and for there to be like these long hours and all this stuff. And I was like, in no other work environment, would this be okay? Mm. You know, so I think having worked for like nonprofits, doing conferences, doing big events and everything and understanding what works in that and then bringing that into a film set has been really useful for me. And it's just mind blowing to me that like people have had experiences where people are literally screaming on set. I'm like, how is that even allowed? Yeah. And how do these people keep getting hired? Exactly. <laughs> It's pretty mind-blowing. It mind can't blowing. be that good. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Nobody wants that in any industry. Right. It's just, it's not good. Yeah. So we kind of talked about what happens if your project makes money, <laughs> which is another way to generate funds, right? So distribution of short film is pretty pretty difficult. Mm-hmm. Do you have any experience, either of you, with that? Absolutely. Yeah. Mine, mine has been limited. I've had offers, but I haven't wanted to do it because it's so low. And I would rather reach a wider audience than maybe what that platform would have. And so, like, especially the last, not the last one, the one before that, had somebody who was kind of an up-and-coming guy on the pro wrestling scene. And so he's on national TV now. And so when people look for him on YouTube or something, finding him, and at this point, I'm sort of audience building for myself and getting people interested in this stuff. So for me, it was more valuable than like $400 for distribution on an online thing. So I was like, yeah, I know. It was just like, hello. <laughs> yeah. So short films, it's hard to recoup your money, mm-hmm. right, with distribution and short films. And it's always important to figure out what your goals are. So... Mm-hmm. Again, one of the classes that I teach is about like about this is about figuring out, you know, what is your goal? And and there's usually kind of four standard goals, fame, fortune, audience building and changing the world. And that's, you know, very specific to documentary changing the world. And you can look at those four goals in a numerous amount of ways. So fame. Are you trying to 
make a name for yourself as a filmmaker? Is this film, you know, going to help you make the next film a little bit easier? Are you trying to just build your reputation? Fortune. So do you want to become rich? You're never going to be rich off of a, of a <laughs> short, let's be realistic. Are you trying to recoup your money, right? And because you have investors or credit card bills to pay or whatever it is, is the money important? Audience building. Are you trying to create a brand for yourself? Are you trying to build an audience who's going to come back to your films over and over again and change the world, especially in documentary, but in narrative as well? Are you trying to make a difference? Is your film a conduit for something else? And are you using it to garner awareness of a subject? And every project is different. Mm -hmm. But if you can figure out what your top one through four top of those are, that really helps figure out what your distribution is going to be. Right. Because, so if you want to change the world, well, then you want to get it in front of as many politically active people as possible. You want to get it in front of change makers. So how are you doing that? How are you getting your film out there? If you want fortune, if you need to repay back your expenses, then you want to sell it for the highest amount of money. But those two things don't often go hand in hand, right? They could and they can't. And so when you figure that out, right, you want to get it in front of as many eyeballs as possible, mm -hmm. right, with your wrestling film. You... It wasn't a wrestling film. Oh. There was just a wrestler. Okay, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you have it on YouTube. It's going to get a lot of looks. Maybe your audience building is that goal. So you make decisions, different decisions than you would if you need to make your money back. So I have a question with that because in for those four things... I feel like there's one, and I don't know if this would be a part of, like, change the world, but what about artistic fulfillment also? Telling the story and wanting that to be a thing. I'm also a physical artist, and so creating work that you want to make out in the world. Obviously, you want other people to appreciate it, but if the goal isn't your own personal brand, it isn't that thing, it's literally to create. Is that a separate thing? Uh, yeah, sure. If it is only... Is that valid? Absolutely. <laughs> okay. And there's nothing that's not valid. It's just if the only thing that you're hoping to do is artistic fulfillment, then kind of those four things don't matter as much to you because you're making it for yourself yeah. more than making it for an audience, for money, you know. Yeah. So I guess in my mindset, what I've been doing is wanting to create the stuff and then at a certain point having to switch mindsets afterward to kind of figure out so I think that maybe that's partly the expectation of what you do in the process of filmmaking and it it being geared toward business more rather than art and I think all art in a way is geared more toward business nowadays I mean everything is geared towards business I know I hate it's to say horrible right <laughs> I mean everyone can make art in their house in a vacuum but you're not going to make a living doing that and I'm not trying to say you should only make art that is marketable, marketable. Yeah. and is going to create money in an audience. Because I think anyone who has a vision, that's going to mess with that. And you don't want to do that. You make the art that you're trying to tell and you hope that you have an audience for it. Yeah. But when you're thinking about distribution specifically, it's kind of those, mm -hmm. those are the four pillars in which help guide you through it. So, for example, I have a short film that I produced where the director needs to make her money back. And so she is looking for the highest offer for distribution. Right. And we have several different avenues to go down for this. But it's ultimately she has investors who need to get paid back. Mm -hmm. And that is what she is focusing on. Mm -hmm. And I have another short film that we got an AFS grant for that we made ourselves for no money mm -hmm. where we didn't really spend a lot of money out of pocket and so because we didn't need to make any money back we were open to a lot more opportunities and our opportunities was i want as many people to see this as possible right it gives you kind of that freedom where it's not just the financial concern exactly yeah, yeah. so on the wonderful if fame and career building is your focus then distribution might look more like festival? I mean, honestly, I think festivals is the number one place to start for distribution, regardless of anything, because that's how you get your film out into the world and seen. But yes, what is really great about festivals is that 
people come and see your film now that we're back in person with festivals and you Thank actually God. Yes. and you can actually <laughs> have an audience watching your oh film God, yes. that feeling right yeah. mm-hmm. of having people surrounding you laughing or crying or having emotional reactions to your work is the the it's greatest priceless. thing yeah the yeah. greatest thing ever but also the reason you go to festivals is to make connections mm-hmm. to other filmmakers to network to you know meet distributors to meet filmmakers to to celebrate like all of these people coming together mm-hmm. i mean there's so i mean like that's what festivals are great for but also festivals legitimize your project mm-hmm. yeah. and i hate to yep. say that because i have projects that like are having such a hard time getting into film festivals and it's very it's yeah. horrible it's awful. and it makes you feel like you've made projects that like suck. suck yeah and you're like no but they don't yeah. they're really good and yeah. you know they just they're not getting that you know that thought and and so on one hand getting into festivals is great and if you have a film that is doing really well in festivals it's awesome but if you have a film that's not it is not the end of the world there are so many other ways to distribute your film outside of the festivals and i think people put so much power and pressure onto themselves and onto the like power to the Mm -hmm. film festivals to make decisions of legitimizing your projects and i would like to change that I was hoping COVID would help, you know, turn that around. And I don't I'm not really seeing that anymore. So just such an emphasis on it. You know, it's like, oh, if I get into this festival, it means I'm a good filmmaker. Well, exactly that. And I think that people have their list of ones that they think are the ones that they need to get into. And they're not thinking about their audience. They're not thinking about their project. So I did a sci-fi drama I'm not expecting that to play Sundance, you know, like it's not that film, but it played almost all of the sci-fi festivals, which was the people who were going to want to see it. And it was different from what the typical stuff that they had programmed. So they were happy to see something that was a little bit more grounded and emotional. So it's finding and budgeting for the ones that you want to submit to and not just like throwing spaghetti against the wall and spending thousands of dollars people just spam everywhere and a lot of these festivals they don't have people going to them or they don't have actual support for the filmmakers and it's kind of feels like a money-making scheme Mm -hmm. but you get your laurel but what was that worth was it worth the 30 dollars the 20 dollars that you did to submit for it or would that money have been better spent somewhere else or just not spending it because it's not worth it right so I have several film festival tips. Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> Number one, like Kelly said, you have to be very conscientious about what your film is and what festivals work for your film. Mm-hmm. I always equate the film festivals to school, to college, okay? Because they kind of follow the same schedule as the school year. They start in September with the Toronto Film Festival mm-hmm. and they end in around June with a couple other festivals. There's not so many in the, you know, July and August. Mm-hmm. I also you have to think about like what is your film? Is your film a Harvard graduate Ivy League film? Harvard being Sundance, Cannes, mm-hmm. you know, Toronto. Not every student is an Ivy League student, and they're completely capable of having an amazing education and life without going to these Ivy League schools. So if you say, oh, well, I made this fun short that it's artistic, it has limited audience, maybe it's genre, like sci-fi, Sundance does not seem like the place for it. Don't apply. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Don't apply because it is a waste of your time and emotional energy. The second thing I would say is, okay, festivals are run by a very small group of underpaid people Mm -hmm. who are getting more submissions every year Mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. And it's building and building and building. Particularly this year, too. It's very competitive. Everyone finished their films from the pandemic. (laughs) Exactly. So your job when you're applying to festivals is you need to get it in front of the decision makers. Mm -hmm. And if you apply to 100 different festivals and you just apply and pay the money and that's it and you leave it alone, don't expect to get into a festival. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think one of the biggest changes that I've seen since I started directing and submitting my own work has really been making connections outside of it through festivals, connections that I have in the community. But even like on social media, if you share some cool content from your movie and you tag it the right thing, then like, oh, my God, this looks amazing. We'd love to have you. And these are like actual good festivals sometimes. I used to I was the screenwriting director and a programmer for Otherworlds Film Festival here, which is a sci-fi film festival. 
And yeah, the quality of films were not always the greatest. We were always looking for more because some people did not understand what sci-fi meant. Um, but yeah, reaching out and looking for people who were doing that and wanted to share their work, but maybe hadn't heard of us. So, And that's a festival that's been around for like a decade and that people still hadn't heard in that genre. So I think that making those connections online through other film festivals because of playing certain ones, then other ones will reach out to you. Yeah, it's sort of like with a job application. You submit a resume, but if you have a connection there, you're always going to have a better chance of getting the job. Right. If you apply for a job mm-hmm. on an online website, I'm not going to mention any of them. <laughs> <laughs> don't, but seriously, but sorry, don't expect to, you know, if you really want that job, you need to contact the HR person. You need to find someone in your community who works there to get your foot in the door. Yep. It's the exact same thing with festivals. You should apply to a festival. You can do it without a box. But then you should find the programmers. Is without a box around anymore? I think it's just film oh, I'm sorry. freeway. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Film freeway. Yeah. Because it's the same thing. And it's then the I same, thing. It's same thing. Yeah. Let's, let's rephrase it. Go to film freeway <laughs> and apply for your festival. But then find the programmer and send them an email and say, hi, my name is Jessica. And this is my film. And I just sent it in to your festival. And I'd love the opportunity to screen there. And you're not asking for anything. You are just sending them an email to make them aware. Right. Because if thousands and thousands of submissions come in, they all get watched by volunteers, by interns, Mm -hmm. like to get you from the bottom of the pile up to the top of the programmers who are making the decisions takes a lot of luck Mm -hmm. if you don't already have either the connections or you're reaching out to the programmer. And just by like sending one little email and saying, hi, please take a look at my film, makes such a world of difference. You give like a personal touch. You're a human being. Yeah. And they see that in the same way as like with job applications. You're just your resume unless you have any sort of personal interaction that kind of helps humanize you. Yeah. But don't be annoying. Right. (laughs) Right. Send one One email and then leave it alone. Yeah. Or if you have a connection, you know, if, if you have a friend who played that festival before and you would ask your friend do an intro to do an intro yeah. that always helps too but you know again make sure your friend watches your film and feels comfortable with it Absolutely. don't put that pressure yes. on that person yeah and also you could make a note it would be our premiere screening in this state or whatever something some kind of selling point and then after you get into a festival, create a relationship with the programmers mm-hmm. because those programmers, they move around a lot. They program multiple festivals. You're going to go back to them again with your next film and you can say, hey, you know, I played here. This was great. I have a new film. And, you know, as an alumni, you can often get a fee waiver yep. for applications. And then, you know, that programmer is being like, great, I also program all of these other festivals. It might not be the right fit for this festival, but hey, can you submit to others as well? Yep. Yeah, that's really good advice. Circling back to budgeting, if you're a first-time producer, what are some traps that you see first-time producers get themselves into in terms of budgeting? A lot of the times you go over, you have to put personal money in that you didn't plan on. You get stuck and can't move through post-production. Is there any advice on on kind of red flags that you see? Not being realistic on what things actually cost. Mm -hmm. Everything from how much people charge for day rates to how much post-production is. Mm -hmm. Knowing that post-production is very expensive and making sure that you're prepared for that. And then understanding how you are going to allocate money for each thing. And, you know, I think in documentary, it takes so long, right? You know, and in a narrative, you're shooting in three days, you're editing in a couple weeks, and it's done. But in a documentary, everything is so stretched out. And it's the job of the producer to keep the ship going Mm -hmm. and moving forward and figuring out how to pivot and, you know, do that so that things don't falter and the budget often is the reason why things you know come to a stop and you know and being prepared for that and knowing okay we're going to shoot everything and we know that we're going to need to have money in order to get an editor and not sitting around with all your footage waiting for an editor to appear Mm -hmm. right because you you don't have a full editing budget Mm -hmm. ready to go like okay now we're going to improvise on this and what are we going to do to make this work better yeah yeah, I think that's it's interesting thinking about the difference between documentary and narrative and like documentary to me feels very much like a marathon. 
in production, pre-production, all of it. Whereas with narrative, even though it takes a long time, with pre and post, the it's a sprint for production, which is both good and bad. Less time that you have to have dedicated to it, but everything is kind of very condensed. I think from my perspective, which is super different, it's super indie, super micro-budget, but I think the biggest red flag that I've seen has been, from my perspective, when people have grand ideas and, again, don't know how much things cost, and then one of two things happens. Either they delay forever making something because it doesn't meet that expectation and they're just constantly trying to reach that magic number and they never make it rather than being agile and adjusting and figuring ways out. They're just like, no, I have to have it be this number. Or they budget and fall short. So they're like, well, we'll get there eventually. We want to make something they're way too enthusiastic and they just start doing stuff before they should. And that's when you get like multiple crowdfunding campaigns. They're not looking into the future. They're looking into like, well, I want to do this now. And so we'll do another campaign for a post and then we'll do another campaign for music. And then it's like, well, you're asking your same network. You did not plan properly. And then you're asking other people to make it up to you. So when I see someone saying that and talking to me about like, well, we'll do one for production and we'll do one for this and we'll do it. I'm like, well, that's not your whole budget then. You're talking about one part of it and you need to like look at the whole thing and see if you can do it right now. And if not, then how can you make it happen? Do you need to adjust stuff? That's not like a very specific red flag. It's more of a behavioral thing, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, it makes sense, though. So like specific funding for different projects. I recently made a film that was about the aftermath of the drowning of a little boy. And I did most of my fundraising once the film was finished because we did a screening with a nonprofit and that really legitimized the project and also made it like we were giving back. And so I think we, we did really well with that funding campaign. So there's ways to do it without always going the same crowdfunding route. Absolutely. And I haven't actually, I've seen, I don't think I've seen someone do one after it was made. Most people that I talk to that do crowdfunding are doing it for production. Yeah. Yeah. So well, this was Yeah. Well, this wasn't, it was a screening of a like, you know, work project in development. We were still working the edit. So it wasn't like a premiere screening. It was an online. Right. Yeah. And then we also, you know, were able to do like, raffle and kind of give away prizes and it was fun and interactive but yeah it's just that thing of like trying to be creative with your fundraising trying not to keep doing the same thing yeah like you'll see the same especially on crowdfunding the same kind of video script the same perks the same everything and I think everyone's reading the same articles about what to do and stuff and creating a reason beyond just I know you Finding something that you can champion if it's a cause or a person like we were talking about before is important because it sounds like that's what you did and creating an experience too. People yeah. want to be a part of something that they can literally be a part of. Yeah, exactly. And it builds your audience too because I was in contact with families who had lost children from drowning mm-hmm. and it felt very important to tell this story. So right, absolutely. It's, it's all good. Finding community partners mm-hmm. is really helpful. And it's helpful not only in the fundraising, but it's also helpful in the promotion and distribution. Because then you can go to different organizations around the country, depending on the themes of your film, and say, would you like to have a screening of this film, which talks about the different themes that you're interested in. And, you know, and depending on the project, it could be a very wide variety of different organizations. And that is really helpful because, you know, you're doing community screenings and you're getting the film out there. You can mm-hmm. charge a nominal fee to these communities. Mostly they're nonprofits and they don't have a lot of budget. Right. But even if you're getting a few hundred dollars a screening, you know, that's enough money for your the time that it takes to organize those because that is quite an undertaking to do those organizations. The other thing, you know, you're talking about, you know, crowdsourcing your funds but you know like you had said earlier you have to pay taxes on that yep and so there are other ways i mean if you you know there's 501c3s that you can be a part of and you can have a fiscal sponsorship and that's really helpful for a film because then you can go to that community and say hey this is a tax deductible donation and you know in a lot of the films that i've worked on in the past we do a big fundraising 
push at the end of the year because it's at the end of the year that people are looking to figure out how to offset their taxes. And so we say, hey, you know, we have this film and we have this 501c3 that is our fiscal sponsor. Would you like to do some donations to this to help us move along? And these are the things that we need. And we get a lot of good reception through that. I will say as a caveat to that, if you don't know those connections that have the money that are wanting to have a tax deduction, you Mm -hmm. have to know the right people and be able to reach out to them. I know a lot of people who have done, I've done this, the fiscal sponsorship and stuff, and I don't know enough people who make enough money, or at that point I didn't, to need that donation at the end of the year to be able to do that. So don't expect that that's going to be a thing that automatically comes to you because because it's an opportunity for them to do that because you have to know the people who it's applicable to. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you're just starting out, if this is like your first short film and and you're trying to find, like, do not expect, unless you're like hella connected, Mm -hmm. don't expect that to just come to you. It is a skill in, in development, you know, doing individual asks, individual giving asks, like do that kind of thing. It's the same as development for like a nonprofit reaching out because it is through a nonprofit, but you have to develop those relationships, which for your first one, you probably won't already have those intact. Yeah. Just to set up expectations, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and to like know what your project is and the kinds of companies you can Absolutely. go to that would be interested in giving money to your project. And if they aren't interested in giving money, maybe they can do an in-kind thing. You can always shift to that, even if they don't want to give you funds. If maybe there's a location, you can even just ask for that for free, you know, and say, hey, and we'll promote you on our email, our social, whatever. And that also develops a relationship because then they're invested in it and they'll share it with their networks. And people will be like, oh my God, I didn't know about this thing that was shot here. There's stuff that you can get outside of just money. You can always ask for that. But then if it doesn't, you don't have to just say, oh, well, you know, never mind. You can always shift it to something else. Yeah. And the other thing is you have to remember, and I think we forget this because we're in it all the time. Filmmaking is very sexy. That's true. It is. I mean, people are so excited. Yeah. It happens to me all the time. People are like, what do you do? And I'm like, I'm a filmmaker. They're like, whoa, (laughs) that's amazing. You got to work that. Mm -hmm. So if you have an investor or someone and you're basically saying, do you want to be part of a movie? Yeah. Right. I mean, a lot of people are like, that is so cool. And and then they're telling all their friends, I'm a a part of a movie. And especially if they get invited to set. And they're over the moon or to the premiere. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yes. And I true. think that we all I do. I mean, I forget it all the time because it's a it's a slog in our <laughs> daily lives. And, you know, you need to reframe that as you're reaching out to people for financing, being mm-hmm. like, this is a really amazing opportunity that I'm giving you. Yes, I'm, I'm yeah. letting you into my cool kid club and you should be honored <laughs> to join me rather than, a, oh, could you please give me some money? Can right. I have that? Because yeah. I'm this poor filmmaker. Right. Yeah. I'm going to make you look cool in front of your friends. Mm-hmm. There is something about that attitude, too, that people respond to. You're not begging. You're not asking. You're giving them an opportunity. Mm-hmm. And that has to do with telling the story, too, of the film, of the project and what they're going to be a part of and what you're giving them. It's That's absolutely true. Have that attitude. Don't have the like, I need you. You're like, I want you to be a part yeah. of my I'm project. I'm allowing yeah. you into this. I choose you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that is really very good advice. So like the private investor thing for short film is pretty difficult unless it's something very specific and that person has an attachment to the topic, the subject that your movie is about. Do either of you have any ties with that i will say that especially for documentary there's been a lot of talk about how to navigate the private investor world and what the expectations are Mm -hmm. and you know setting expectations for your investor to know there is a very good chance that you are not going to make money back on this it is a short film it is a documentary the return is not guaranteed And making sure expectations are understood. Also being very careful on how you give away credits. Mm -hmm. You do not want to give any production credits to investors. An investor is an executive producer and they can get an executive producer credit, but they are not producers. They are not associate producers. And giving away credits, you need to be very conscientious about what the ramifications are Mm -hmm. of that. The DPA, the Documentary Producers Alliance, has an amazing document on their website about waterfall 
which is how the money gets returned within an equity investment space. And I highly recommend anybody, narrative or documentary, to take a look at that document because it talks about how are you paying your investor back and in what order. What it does is it protects the producer and the filmmaker to make sure that all production is recouped, that the producer is the first person to get paid, that the investors get paid after that. Because what happens is if an, if an investor puts money in and wants their money back immediately, who suffers for that but the above the line you know, director, producer? And that's problematic mm. because it is very important to try to create a sustainable work environment mm -hmm. for filmmakers and to make sure that we are not doing this for the love of the art. We are. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't get Pay. paid for yeah. it well i think that's also like the people working on the film did the work the executive producer the investor provided the money but as far as like you pay the people who are doing the work first and that's a matter of respect it's a matter of like we're not you know we're not just your underlings making you more money you get paid first and all this stuff i think it's an attitude in general toward labor which i obviously agree with and yeah I have had no experience with investors, and I don't know how broad that field is for short film. I think it's limited. I mean, I think, <laughs> I, honestly, it's if you have someone who's excited about your project and is going to give you money, they're going to give you money whether it's a short or a feature. And if they're really looking for an investment, right. and a, you know, if they're really looking for a return, then yeah, you're not maybe going to get so much of a return on your short. But as long, if they're super psyched, you could say, you know, the idea of this short is that I, if I get enough traction, I would like to turn this into a feature. And you're going to be the person, you know, on the ground floor mm -hmm, with yeah. that. And it's, again, it's all about selling the excitement of getting involved in the project, the sexiness of the project, mm -hmm. rather than the, oh, don't bother Right. Don't bother investing in this because, you know, you're well, never going to make any money from it. Right. But, but when you hear the term investment, I think the general public who don't know about film, like they think, oh, investment, I'm going to get something back. A return. A return yeah. on their investment. Right. And I think for a short film, film in general, I think that is not a very big thing. I do think that that should change, though, because of how we consume media now that you can make money off of shorts. Most people want shorts. They want TV shows. They want this stuff. So I think that hopefully that could change at some point. Me working in genre and horror and stuff, I could see that being really good. You know, there are places for distribution where they'll watch a 20-minute horror short on Shutter or something. Like, you could actually get a return on stuff. So hopefully that kind of mindset changes a little bit i'd love it to yeah but right now i have had no luck with that but that might be i don't know and i've had films that have made profits yeah. and i've had films that haven't Absolutely. and it really depends on the project and the distribution of that and a little bit of a luck of the draw mm -hmm. you know and how the life of a film you know where it lands in in like what's happening in the world absolutely as well. yeah yeah you mentioned your short film potentially being part of a larger project when you're asking for investment, like a private investor, how do you write that contract? Because it's no guarantee, right? It's like, we do have this idea or we have this script and this is maybe a teaser, which is going to also act as a short film to be part of the festival run, festival circuit. What kind of wording do you need to be careful of? You need to be really careful about points and return mm -hmm. and what is expected and when the person is expected to get paid back. And that's very important. I feel like that would also be kind of a separate contract, too. You'd have one for the short film and then one for the feature if it was that. Absolutely. Always consult a lawyer. Yes. Yes. Lawyer. There you go. And absolutely. And, and the idea that... I would like to make this into mm -hmm. a feature doesn't mean I'm going to make this into a feature. You're not obligated. No. Yeah. Right. But the big things that you want to make sure are very clear with an investor is, are they making a profit? Are they getting a percentage, 3, 5, 10% in addition to their investment? Because that often happens. And when they're going to get paid back and what order. And that waterfall document, again, like I mentioned on the DPA website, is very helpful to help navigate those things and just clear understanding and expectation you do the investor does not have any creative control or say in how a film is getting out is being made or being released that mm -hmm. if they want to have 
input, then that is input that is given with the understanding that it's, you know, does not have to be taken, right? The director makes the final decisions on everything. I think there's been like kind of a theme through our conversation about being very clear, lots of communication, managing expectations, and all of this stuff. And this is stuff that for me, it's not just through, you know, funding and stuff. It's on set. It's in post-production. It's when you interact with your fellow filmmakers, all of that. Be clear, communicate as much as possible, and manage expectations, both good and bad. And I think it's it's just been interesting. Every Everything that we've been talking about, that's the key. Mm. And so, do your research. Yeah. Be prepared. Yeah. Like a Girl Scout. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's an excellent life lesson. Yes. <laughs> and be respectful. Yes. <laughs> awesome. So what is a favorite piece of filmmaking advice that kind of has stuck with you both? I don't know if it's been advice, really. I think the big thing has just been that lesson that I learned about bringing that professional attitude to filmmaking. Like, there are a lot of attitudes. There's a lot of attitude toward budgeting and playing dress-up with indie filmmaking where they want to spend a lot of money. And they're thinking of it in terms of, I need this Ari Alexa camera, all this stuff. I need to have flags. I need to have the big production so I can take pictures. And I think what I've learned is treat it like you would a job where the end product is the goal. You don't need to take your photos and do hashtag set life and do all that stuff. That is not the point of filmmaking. The point of filmmaking is is the film and to be a part of creating that art. So for me, it's bringing in a mindset of everything should be geared toward that, not toward making me feel like I'm doing a professional job playing dress up in a budget that I'm not in and overextending myself, overextending the budget, making everyone very tense. Know where you're at, treat it professionally, and just don't try to play dress up. That seems mean. I don't mean it in a mean way, but I have seen people who have a film that takes place in a living room having 30 people crammed in there and huge lights that aren't necessary like 10 lights and all this stuff and it's just you know they wanted to have that experience of being on a big set Mm. when their budget did not allow for that they went into debt and it didn't really make an impact on the film think about the end goal think about the film not what you wish your experience was I guess yeah so basically be realistic with what your story needs and respectful of what it is and the environment that you're going to create. You don't want 20 people crammed into a living room. You know, be respectful of the other people working on it too. Don't spend all your money on lights and gear to make yourself feel good and then not pay them. Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't go down very well. No. I would say um, pre production is the most important part of filmmaking, especially in documentary when you don't know, right? You're going to put yourself in a situation that you're not 100% sure what's going to happen. The more prepared you are, the better you will react to when things change. Because they change in a heartbeat. heartbeat. (laughs) And it will create a calm working environment where you can pivot without panicking and therefore create a comfortable collaborative environment for your crew. Without pre-production, without kind of thinking through all the things that could happen, being prepared for that, then you're just like panicking and that is the worst possible thing you can do as a filmmaker because you need to make yourself your subjects your crew and everyone feel comfortable on set and you're setting the tone and that's incredibly helpful yeah that's really good advice well thank you so much both of you for coming in today it's been a very wonderful conversation we appreciate your time so thank you very much thanks for having us thank you absolutely If you want to continue listening for more episodes, be sure to subscribe. While you're at it, rate and review so we can get the attention of new listeners like you. A special thanks to Austin Public for their support. And don't forget to follow us on social at WIFT underscore Austin. Also, check out our new and improved website, WIFTAustin.org. And if you're not already a member, WIFT Austin offers some great networking and educational opportunities to improve your career. Thanks for listening and happy holidays. Hey, what's up, you guys? It's summer and I am back with a brand new movie review. This week, 
we are going to talk about the movie Hellion, which was written and directed by Kat Candler. If you haven't listened to the first season of the Wift Austin podcast, I highly recommend you do because we got the chance to interview Kat Candler in season one, and it was a great interview. So thank you, Kat, for coming on to the podcast. I highly recommend you watch this movie. Hellion was incredible. It had amazing writing and stars Aaron Paul, Juliette Lewis, Josh Wiggins, and Deke Garner. This movie is about a family. Jacob Wilson, who I believe is 13, and his younger brother, Wes, and their dad, Hollis, and their aunt, Pam. So Jacob gets into a little bit of trouble and Wes is taken away by Child Protective Services to go live with Aunt Pam. And that kind of causes some stress and some arguments with Jacob and Hollis, as well as Jacob is just going through a lot, being an adolescent and going through puberty and growing up and trying to find his way. So I really, really liked this movie. And it has a little bit of a sprinkle of motocross. And it was filmed in Texas, which is why I'm reviewing the movie. I liked it. I thought the writing was incredible as all of us have gone through adolescence and gone through puberty and have definitely felt those pubescent meltdowns and anger of being like, everyone hates me. I'm doing everything wrong. And that was shown a little bit in this movie. I also really liked it because it was a very realistic ending. It wasn't, oh, at the end of the movie, everyone lives happily ever after. It ended in a high note. Yes, I will say that, but it was more about like what would happen in real life. So I thought that was really cool. And I'm also a huge fan of Juliette Lewis. So when I saw that, I was really excited because I just think that everything that she does is amazing. If you want to watch the movie, you can watch it on AMC Plus and Prime Video. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day. This episode of the Wift Austin podcast was produced and hosted by Chantel James, Ai Vong, and Samantha Ray Lopez. The showrunner is Chantel James. Our editors are Shannon Steffen, Valerie Torres, and Carla Rivera. Summer Hart is our movie review critic. And marketing is done by Tori Rose and Carla Rivera. You can find us on the web at wiftaustin.org and on social media at Wift Austin. Thanks for listening, everybody.